0: Welcome everyone. We'll begin our brief uh, period of zazen, our sitting. And most of you are familiar um, with the chants that we do at the end of both our sitting and the end of inquiry. And we have a, um, a habit of doing them in a certain order. Uh, And today I'd like to switch them, as I've done in the past a time or two. When we finish sitting, we'll chant the four practice principles, the caught in the self-centered dream. And uh, then we'll save the rogue chant for the end, which we typically do after sitting. Thank you. no matter where you are, whether you're sitting right now in a room alone or with another, whether your heart feels quite light and free or burdened, whether your body feels and some discomfort or distress or feels vital and alive. Whatever the feeling in your heart, in your mind, Buddha's mind, universal heart and mind, As untouched by these circumstances that are real and immediate, that we must attend to. In our sitting, we turn our intention and our energies, because as humans, we need to do that. We seem to need to offer our attention and intention. And we do it in the direction of the spacious presence in which all of this rests. as if by simply sitting as upright as we're able and as attentive as we're able and setting aside all our plans and dreams and strategies and simply rest here now in this together. And open to the one big heart and mind of awakening in which we rest always. In which we are not so aware because of our busyness of heart and busyness of mind. simply sitting Are you tired? (laughs) I mean, tired of the sort of relentless march towards this election and the relentless uh, news about that and everything else happening on the planet. this is a um, this is a source of nourishment I hope for many of you it is for me where we turn our attention and our intention to something more simple to something uh, larger than the ever unfolding what seems like difficulties these days because there's so much so much beauty and so much possibility here that we miss if we're overwhelmed. And there's something about with everything that's going on, I I mentioned the politics just because the election is coming next week and we'll actually be here with inquiry next Tuesday also. This past weekend, I would imagine that many of you were involved in a retreat that was sponsored by a sangha in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Awakening Together group, which I'm fortunate to uh, serve as a a guiding teacher there. And the title that that group had um, chosen for the retreat, the the primary title uh, was Awakening Through Unraveling. And it's this unraveling, of course, that I'm I'm having us think about for a moment, which is um, so common. But it's it's not just bad news. It's not. Uh, I don't want that to to be the, the focus of what I'm speaking about. Um, in this retreat, I'm gonna I'm gonna recall something that I I thought was useful. It was at least a part of my own practice that I found useful, so I I wanted to share it. I'd ask people to write to me ahead of time about what, if they had a magic wand, what they would want to um, open to, what kind of insights, what kind of teachings that would touch them the most. The subtitle of this retreat was Turning Everyday Experience into Spiritual Practices. That's what we just chanted each moment, life as it is. And so I knew that from what I had received, just like in any inquiry, there are the the usual questions about um, transitions and the challenges when things change, about relationships and their importance, about what it's like to open to a space in which these things can be met more graciously, more easily, without creating more additional unnecessary suffering. And so I decided to write back to uh, the the participants, since they had so graciously written to me. And I also knew that so many of them were um, psychotherapists and people in helping professions. And even without that, we often come to practice as if we're bringing our problems to be solved, as if that's what spiritual practice was about. So I wanted to to speak to this. So I wrote something back, and this is what I wrote. So this is, um, I wanted to be as clear as I could be in a brief, it's two little paragraphs. But you also know that when I attempt to be as clear as I can be, often there's some density to it too. So take my time here. We'll go through it and reflect on it just a little bit, because these are important things that I I, I want to communicate. Some distinctions that are, I think, central to awakening through unraveling. So here's what I wrote. Spiritual practice does not solve problems. Spiritual practice does not solve problems. Spiritual practice, despite the contemporary, seemingly ubiquitous and instrumental use of mindfulness, is not a coping strategy. Wholesome spiritual practices invite and reveal the presence and spaciousness in which all problems are created, met, and transformed. Waking to the deep and embodied reality of impermanence and interdependence eventually defeats all of our ideas of certainty, permanence, and that pervasive and inevitable way that we place our personal perspective of things at the center of what we imagine to be reality. And awakening is not some new and better personal perspective. What we awaken from is all of our personal perspectives, beliefs, habits, illusions. Awakening is a leap beyond all personal perspectives, but also realizes all perspectives as partial. And provisional. This clear seeing is called wisdom. Meeting the relentless unraveling, undistracted by our personal conditioning and reactivity, remaining close and responsive to each transient moment of experience is compassion. In this clear seeing of wisdom, in this meeting fully, in the unraveling, everything is included. Nothing's left out. There's no more sorting into good and bad, higher or lower, right and wrong, the beginning and the ending. Everything belongs. So this was my brief personal statement in the beginning. Because I really wanted to be clear, as I could, about the central function of our practice, the central function of spirituality, even, dare I say, at the risk of offending some people, religion, to help us step beyond just the self-centered dream, including our self-centered dreams about spirituality. That is my practice that's going to benefit me, that's going to make me better. Those things might happen, but that's not the centrality of what's available in all the teachers and all the traditions throughout the ages. Despair of trying to communicate that fact. <clears throat> People are cared for, loved, nurtured, guided, connected, of course, in community because we can step beyond our small personal views. As I was doing this tiny bit of writing and also thinking about what to teach, I ran across, as I often do, um, a poem that touched me that I had, had read years ago in inquiry. <clears throat> Pardon me. By a, a poet who often speaks to me, uh, Ellen Bass, which is quite direct and uh, fierce, almost and humorous sometimes. And it, it sounded as an echo to this kind of teaching. It's a short poem entitled, The Thing Is, The thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, it's tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water more fit for gills than lungs. When grief weighs you down like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief, you think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violent eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. And so here we are in this time, in these moments in the world that's unfolding around us, and the thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it. And everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. And she goes on this, this is what we're facing, isn't it? Uh, and the, the weariness that I was speaking of, and how we cling to things like even our spiritual practice to see if it might solve these problems. And in the, those beautiful images in the midst of the poem where she talks about grief weighing us down, she calls it so much that it's almost like an obesity of grief, uh, not knowing how a body can stand it. That's I have that feeling sometimes. But it's not just grief. She uses grief as the thread because of so much loss, the awakening through unraveling. But it's also fear, anger, everything. Everything is included. And the question, how do we keep choosing this life? In fact, loving life. I won't go into all of the history, but it's, I think people forget, unless they do some historical study, that the Buddha was attacked quite a bit not just verbally, uh, attempts were made on his life. Uh, Many people were quite aggressive, attempted to unseat him as it were, just like we see around us right now. Power plays to gain dominance and to push away this teacher. We hear the beautiful stories but he lived a life which included all of these things. We certainly know all of the stories written in the, the Hebrew Bible and the Gospels of similar things. Or people who awakened to the beauty of reality through their spiritual practices in circumstances that I'm not sure I could live in. The Chan masters in the a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, almost from the sixth to the 10th century in China, they flourished. And Zen came out of this at a time when there were pandemics, where there were droughts that killed immense amounts of the population, wars that devastated the countryside As recently as the Second World War, the Japanese government came to Suzuki Roshi's temple and took the large dinsho bell, because it was made of brass, took it and melted it down to make bullets. Everyone and every age, even the ones we think of as exemplars of practice, lived in times that were difficult. Yesterday, and speaking with one of our senior students in, in Madison, Kim Nichelle, who is, I say this because it's, it's important for context. She's in, in charge of, uh, for the city of Madison, uh, public health nurse and the COVID response with homeless populations and shelters there. So you can imagine it's a quite a difficult job and I'm not describing it um, adequately. And she said there was a a moment in which she was going between the shelter and another place and things had happened that were distressing, that shouldn't have happened. And In the midst of the things that she tells herself, I'm overwhelmed, there's too much, it's difficult. And she realized she was glad that she was doing what she was doing. I mean, this is what she said, I I realize this is what I want to be doing. Not that you like everything or it's pleasant but I, ch- I choose it and this is I think the choosing that we're talking about how do we love the life we have in the poem it says then you hold like a face between your palms that's such a tender image the whole life Hold life like a face between your palms. I think when we sit zazen and we use the cosmic mudra in our lap, it rests and we make this space in which we are as if we're holding the face of life dear, right at our center. A plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes. And you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. And I think the again is important because the way we drop or turn away and again, we come back and say yes again and again, just like we come and sit again and again. We turn toward each other again. We do those things that we're weary of doing and yet this is the way we embrace our life. And how do we embrace life so directly and so intimately and say this yes to life? Well, from a a purely personal perspective of our condition, way of meeting life is actually not possible. Because there are a lot of things we're not gonna like and things that will be overwhelming and things that we grasp onto this. This is the grasping and pushing away and distraction of delusion that the teachings talk about. You're not gonna prefer a good bit of life I'm not either. This is what we share. And that's dukkha. That's the first noble truth. That's just the reality. Not everything is going to be to your liking. And if you use your own personal perspective to make your way through life, it's going to be a narrow life. But surrendering that third line in our four practice principles to life as it is. In the retreat in Madison, we spoke about Dongshan's just-this-is-it. Life as it is. And this is a surrendering that's not um, um, some sort of passivity. It's a surrendering of self-centeredness. It's not a giving up. It's not a submission. It's not some passivity. uh, Because you're being asked to actively care. To take this tender face in your hands. to be awake and alert and responsive. But what we normally do is we become alert and awake and reactive based on all our preferences, not what's in front of us that needs care. And not only are we not asked to submit and be passive, we're also not invited to fight. Because we're saying, yes, I will take you. It's an embrace, not no... I hate you. This isn't right. Which seems to be the pervading feeling in the air these days. Everywhere. And when we inevitably do meet our resistance, which we will, that's part of what's held. That is part of our life that's held. Everything contains wisdom. Everything is worthy of compassion. Each moment, life as it is, this isn't a purification process where we're purified of these impure things through spiritual practice. It's just a way to step into a larger space in which those things that are unfolding are held differently or seen differently or met differently so that it isn't simply some new, better, spiritual version of self-improvement. Spiritual practices don't solve problems. And spiritual practice, despite the way we use mindfulness these days, isn't a coping strategy. These practices invite a presence and a spaciousness. And they reveal the presence and spaciousness that's with us all the time. And that space of pure awareness and presence is the space in which we create all the problems that we meet and shows us how we meet them and make them either worse or a little better and gives us a space in which they can be transformed. And as we are willing to stay closer with this impermanent, Unraveling always, always, always. Everything's unraveling all the time and re-raveling. It's creation and destruction constantly, and it's all interdependent. If we pay close attention, it's going to defeat all our ideas that we're in control or that something is going to be permanent and last forever. And these are just ways that we take our personal perspective the way we want it and put it at the center of things. The way we see things we think is reality. And we don't go from that self-centered reality to some new personal perspective that's greater, better, spiritualized. Awakening isn't a new personal perspective. It's dropping our personal perspectives and including all of them as provisional, as partial, And that larger, clear seeing is where wisdom lies. And meeting life in that way, in each moment, is compassion, where nothing is left out. Everything is included. So we can say, as Ellen Bass did, the thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it. And for most of us, our stomachs literally have been turned at the idea of certain things that are unfolding. So how do we hold that, not deny it, but also not privilege it? So I'm, I'm kind of saying the same thing over and over here because it's a difficult thing. It so easily slides into uh, self-help. And it's not that we aren't aided and supported and helped by practice. But if it's just that, it only goes so far and we'll feel worn out and defeated over and over and over. And there's a freedom that's larger. And that's what we'll chant at the end when we chant the verse of the robe. But before that, let's meet and see what this might have brought forward for you, for us together. So please raise your hand.
1: Are you ready for my question?
0: I am. I don't see you yet. Okay.
1: I see myself. Oh, there you go. You see me now? I do, John. Mm-hmm. Okay. I raised a question. I don't know if you noticed. I raised my hand right near the beginning because okay. I had a question about being caught in a self-centered dream, holding the self-centered thoughts. And you've answered a lot of that question. My question was, when you're doing all this kind of <coughs> reflecting or whatever you're talking about, how can you distinguish between holding the self-centered thoughts caught in the self-centered dream versus, <clears throat> versus things that are okay for you to focus on, or that are helpful, constructive? The I don't quest- know if I frame it.
0: Yeah, yeah, the question that you're asking is the problem. The sorting into what's right and what's wrong, what's the one I should be thinking, what I shouldn't be thinking. That's why we sit zazen to simply sit, allowing the thoughts to come and go, rather than trying to sort the good ones from the bad ones, reflect on what we should and shouldn't, and allow the practices to do their work on their own, instead of us using them as tools to try to forge our own own direction. And this requires, in many ways, faith, which we don't talk about very much. So it's a it's a different perspective than simply attempting to create a better outcome.
1: So if I do that, if I allow the practice to do its work, or whatever how you want uh, <clears throat> to phrase it, then that is not being caught in the self-centered dream. That's interesting.
0: Only if it is. Only if you, only if the self-centered dream grabs it again and begins to use it as uh, some gaining idea. That's the other difficult thing, is letting go of a gaining idea. If I do this, I will get a good benefit. There's no, um, there's no guarantee of a personal benefit. Okay. There's the realization that if you, in the, this, in the poem, the image is taking life as it is, that at least you have the possibility of moving with life instead of against life. Moving with the love and care of others instead of against it and creating more problems by making separations. These are hard things to talk about. They're difficult things to to make discernments about because we slide so quickly. That's why poems like the Shenzhen Ming, where it talks about in the beginning, the great way is not difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. And it's not about disattaching from things. It's about non-attachment opening our hands, allowing things to be as they are. So that's why we we chant that, that's why we sit without engaging in complex uh, meditation techniques to try to change ourselves and meet reality as it is. So thank you for your question. It's a good way to start. (laughs) That's how I feel, it's a good way to start. It's a good way to start, thanks John. Sure.
2: Ah, hello. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. Okay. Hi.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it's great to see you. Um good to see
0: you. where are you today?
2: I'm in Colorado today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this has been a great talk, and uh, you know, I I definitely feel like I'm getting very caught up in some uh <laughs> it's almost like what you're saying. I'm experiencing on a very personal level, you know, just, um, like with a difficult person who's, um, you know, not doing the COVID stuff and I have to be at work. And, um, I keep thinking of how to deal with it. And I'm definitely like, I thought to myself, this problem could be over. If this person would just put on a mask, Mm -hmm. this fight would be done. Um, but that's not going to happen
3: Mm
2: so you know where do i go with this how do i include that and and i think um a few times back when you said there are no disposable people that really hit me too it's like okay i gotta remind myself this person is not disposable um how do i you know, accept
0: them at the same time, not accepting them, you know? But there's, a, there's a distinction you may have also heard me speak about, which is a, a, a hard one Sometimes, If you're not taking good care of yourself, I, I'm going to make it dramatic. You could die. Okay. You could yeah. Die, you know, so like, okay, this is yeah. real. You're not just going to do some spiritual bypass around this. <laughs> right. And so I'm going to say it in the dramatic way. There are people that it is necessary for us to step away from or put out of our life, even though we don't put them out of our heart.
3: Yeah. You know, boundaries
0: are important. If you say, you know, if you can't do this, I can't be around you because I don't want to be sick. You can believe and do whatever you want, but I'm sorry I can't do it. I love you. I want to be with you. I'd be happy to be with you, but I'm not able. I have to set a boundary because I have to take care of myself.
2: I like and that in a way, lot. Of yeah. course,
0: your communication is a helpful communication for them because you're not enabling them to do things that are hurtful. But that's a complicated thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I remember this distinction. There, there are people that it's not wise to be around. And I'm not saying about this person, but. Right. Um, but uh, that's different than throwing them out of your heart.
2: Yeah, that's a big distinguishment because I'm not, I, I've i thrown him out of my heart. So I need yeah, to try. To, yeah. And yeah. That's,
0: that's the part where you start falling into the ditch. You know? Yes. And sometimes yeah. I have found myself in situations like this where I have no solution. I don't know what to do. It reminds me of a story that many people have heard, but uh, since not everyone has, I'll repeat it quickly. There's a, um, an old Zen teacher... Uh, Ryokan, his name, and he, since he was seemingly wise, his family asked him to come to dinner one night because they had an adolescent kid that was messing up. And they thought, we've done everything. Maybe he'll know what to do. You know, like here's the issue. So they they have him to come to dinner. It's a very traditional, like 17th century Japanese family, you know. And they're gracious, so they don't say anything. They just kind of wait for uncle Ryokan Mm -hmm. to say something and he never does he never does anything and and it's time for him to leave and he hasn't done anything but they can't say anything because he'll lose face you know so as the old man is sitting in the in in a japanese home there's that part where it's not inside and not outside where you put on your shoes
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and he's going to put his sandals on and the kid even though he's a jerk he's doing what he's supposed to do so he's helping his uncle put on his sandals And the kid feels something weird on his head and he reaches up and it's wet and he looks up and his uncle's crying. And they didn't have any trouble with him after that. Wow. That's a dramatic story. Yeah. But sometimes that's the way I feel watching people I love knowing I won't be able to steer them away from the collision that they're setting up for themselves. And so I just feel the brokenheartedness and the weeping because I know I won't be able to change that, but I can with that open heart remain present. Thank you. when it's time.
2: Yes, thank you so much for that, Mm -hmm. yes.
0: Thanks Tony, it's good to see you.
4: Good to see you. Hi.
0: Hello, who's there? You haven't popped up yet.
4: Oh, I haven't? Okay. There you are, it's Clayton.
0: Hi. Thank you.
4: Um, Listening to you and Tony was really helpful. Um, And I love that image of holding life by its face. But it also makes me a little sick to my stomach to think about holding life by its face, like the stomach turning thing.
0: Um, I think that's why she used that image in the beginning that we don't have stomach for it. Yeah. I mean, precisely.
4: And specifically I'm feeling this sense of rage that I, I've had. Um, Well, last night I dreamt that um, I talked to my parents about Trump because I know they're going to vote for him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know why it makes me so, fucking sad but um
0: mad and sad
4: yeah and i so i wrote him a letter but i don't think it's gonna do any good so like how do you take that rage and not let it make you sick yeah because it's your own family and people that you do love just like you know like you're talking to tony about you hold them close because you do love them
0: and these are the tears that are falling on their head right now. Because of the helplessness. That you realize you can't turn them anymore that he knew he could turn his nephew. But he could feel the broken heartedness of watching him clamor about and do things that were difficult.
4: But What's a useful way to work with the disgust and rage?
0: Well, you have to back up into the psychological, which is you need a place to say it like you're saying it right now. And, you know, there's like 70 people holding you right now. And many of them are going, "Uh uh-huh. And they have their stories.
4: (laughs) I know they do. And
0: it's easy at this point to slip into, ain't it awful? (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, and that doesn't help. And you don't want to slip into being some sort of pious person who doesn't feel anything. That's, that doesn't work. You have to take good care of your anger and your sadness and your helplessness until you can, through practice, let practice do works, the alchemy, so you know how how that energy can be transformed. You don't know. I can't tell you, you can't know. There's Once again, the teaching stories are always dramatic because they're trying to make a point. But there's a contemporary one that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about when he was still in Vietnam and one of the people were trying to escape on the boats, you know, and sometimes they would be assailed by pirates and, it was, you know, horrible. And so one of the boats had sunk and a bunch of people had died. This is in real life. And he was so furious and frustrated because it just kept happening that this horror and people would be taken. He said, he said he locked himself in his room until he could come out and not do more damage.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: He couldn't make himself not feel rageful. He felt rageful. He couldn't make himself not feel helpless as he did. So he practiced, he did whatever he could just to not let the fire burn out and hurt others and not burn himself up and gave himself time and let practice do its work, like I said to John, so he could channel that powerful energy into something else. I can remember waking up four years ago at four in the morning, knowing that Trump had been elected, and not just not being unhappy about it, I couldn't actually accept it. And I woke up at four in the morning because I had to catch a plane early, the airport there in Austin, an early plane to fly through Dallas to Guadalajara to lead a retreat in Mexico. And thinking, how am I going to do this? And I had some of my students from Mexico recently send me messages and saying, oh, here we are, we're almost there again. And so that was, they held me, the practice held me, the teachings held me. Didn't change anything. But I made it through. And I tried to do something good for somebody else while I was doing it. Sometimes it just brings us to our knees and we have to just sob and wail. Mm
4: -hmm. And it's really hard to know when not communicating about the hard things with people, like my family who loves Trump, like when is communicating, not communicating like cowardly, and I, I'm just really confused about
0: that. I, I don't think there's any way you can know that, Clayton, going in. You have to just mm-hmm. experiment and make mistakes and do your best and mm-hmm. learn to repair. Sometimes you just have to say something and then you get a response. And then if you need to repair that,
4: yeah,
0: be, be alive, but don't be careless. Yeah, And let yourself think, is this going to serve the Dharma? Is this going to cause more suffering for others or for me? yeah yeah and it's it's in it's not there's no clear way to know
4: i don't and i also think that my desire to get it right and say just the right thing is getting in my way like i just don't think right. i can get it right
0: yeah it's just like john saying which which is the thoughts i you know had it's, we don't you don't know yeah. we have to stay alert we have to stay awake and pay attention what's the impact and how's it going and that old adage we all know is we pay so much more attention to our intention than our impact we have to watch the actual impact we have not just we i thought it was a good idea like it doesn't matter
4: I, i screamed in my dream i was so angry and it's just strange and i um yeah i don't want to be like that in real life
0: yeah and right now what we find ourselves doing is screaming at our self-centered dreams and out of our self-centered dreams at the world and some of this we're screaming at but eventually we're gonna have to do something else
4: thank you
0: thank you I'm, i'm glad that you and tony both said something about it was a good thing to talk about, because I thought, oh, this is the talk nobody wants to hear, you <laughs> know? Thank you. Yeah. As you come forward on the screen, um, I think you have to speak before you end up showing up.
5: Hear me? oh.
0: Yeah, there you go. It made you appear.
5: (laughs) Okay, I've appeared. Thank you so much. Yeah, Glenn, Um, good to see you. I, uh, my question sounds academic, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And, um, it arises from me being in a relationship, just like Clayton. I'm out here in the Hill Country, surrounded by Trump flags and come and take it bumper stickers and, and to most of those people, I'm the problem child, and they're the crying uncle, just saddened by my lack of, of understanding of the world, and hoping that I'll, I'll see the light someday. Yeah. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about um, so so to move to relationship. I I, uh, I follow your advice. I stay in rela- stay in relationship, because the only hope you have of sharing. Of sharing my different views of the world is to stay in those relationships even when that can be very very frustrating especially the mask issue but I've been thinking a lot about this isn't actually subject change it just sounds like one I'm thinking a lot about compassion and wisdom and you you said that a little bit in your first talk and it came up last night during koan study compassion and wisdom both arising out of Out of relationship and out of emptiness, which are almost the same concept. Are those ultimately the same thing, the same concept? Is compassion just another name for the sixth perfection, which is wisdom? Are they even separate at all? Are they two sides of the same coin or are they just literally the same phenomenon in the same position? Because if they are, that really expands the container for what you've told us today. Sure. They're
0: different faces of the jewel of awakening, and is one of the ways I think about it. They're all part and parcel of the same thing. There's no separation. Okay. It depends on which way you're where you're standing. Like that the clear seeing of wisdom as it opens, it allows you to see more deeply. And as you see more deeply, you see the reality of things and the difficulties. The willingness to stay and not blow out because of your reactivity is compassion. Compassion is not being kind. It's meeting suffering and not going away. So that way you can stay deeper. You don't go away. So you can see f- deeper and more clearly. So you can meet things so that they, they function together. That wisdom without compassion is cold. Mm-hmm. and Compassion without wisdom, foolish. They They function together, not separate things. We realize from the larger perspective, nothing separate, of course, they're just... the the movement of contingent interdependent reality flowing in certain ways but because we're we have these dualistic minds we name and separate and classify things it helps us navigate and our i think that image in the poem about taking a face is another way of just saying you have to plunge in and say yes and make our mistakes. May all beings be free. Thank you. If we don't include the Bodhisattva vow, we just stay in the self-centered dream, the vow of Freeing all beings, clarifying all delusion, moving through all dharma gates and embodying the way of the Buddha or the way of awakening.
3: Hi, Flint. Hi, Susan. Um, It's quite cold in Austin this morning or today, so I'm wrapped up. (laughs) Um, I'm particularly grateful to you for starting your talk by uh, using the image of resting in the larger space, the bigger heart. Um, For a variety of reasons, my own space has felt really shaky and tense and um, unclear and weird. And Mm -hmm. I had forgotten to remember the larger space and it was an enormously um, soothing and, and graceful start for me in your talk. And I just am so, so profoundly grateful. I wanted to thank you personally for it.
0: You know, I wrote it in response to my own request that I'd given to the students to write to me about right. what they wanted as a fruit. So that's what I was wanting. So it was, it was a, a teaching to remind myself and I'm glad that we share it.
3: Oh, yeah, very much so. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's good to hear your voice and to see your face. I really appreciate all of you raising your hands. It's good to connect. It's the antidote for some of the, the pain of isolation and strain these days. I see that Kim has raised her hand. I hope you get to speak to her since I said a little something. I hope she clarifies or sets me straight.
6: Hi, Flint. There she is. Hi. <laughs> I'm sitting outside. Good. Yeah, trying to get a walk-in. But I um
0: I'm a disservice to your message from
6: no, no, that was it. And then what you just said about Vow, that's the end of the story, actually. Or the other part of it, I guess.
4: Mm-hmm. So
6: that that morning when I was in my car and Kind of having a pity party. That's the mm-hmm. truth, right? You know, telling myself the story that I'm overwhelmed. This is too much. What came to me was my bow. Ah. And um,
0: that's a crucial piece. You know.
6: It is. And then that sense of, wait a minute. What am I telling myself? Mm-hmm. I want to be doing this. Of course, I'm doing this, actually. Of course, it's 730 in the morning. I'm picking up vaccine from the Medical respite, you know, like, a, like, bad. <laughs> it actually was okay, but it could oh. have. yeah, it had gone out of temperature, yeah, yeah. And, um,
0: and it's, but it was, for, oh, I'm sorry, it's important to remember that for some people, say, oh, remember my vow doesn't mean remembering this is what you should do. No, it actually was no. opening, a, a releasing, and inspiring that goes with the vow, not
6: right. Uh, No, it's, it's like a cradle. It's like being held in something so much larger, so much larger that it can hold actually, including my, it's true, I was tired. And I, you know, it was hard what was happening. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was that that much larger space to open into.
0: And that can hold it all. I, the image that I've said in some of my retreats that came from Richard Rohr is that it's like a riverbed of mercy. Mm-hmm. It's the space where your life can flow. The riverbed right. of mercy, you know.
6: Right. Yeah. And this feels like mercy. Your your talks and the offerings and the sangha and people coming forward.
0: And yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for taking the, the time. I know you're busy. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <clears throat> I feel like we're right at the end of our, our time pretty much and uh, I want to make sure we have time for our final chant um, so in in the perspective of what we've all spoken about not just me all of us now as you say the verse of the robe, listen to the words and see how it guides us towards not only that spacious container and presence, which spiritual practice allows us, but also turns us towards the wisdom and compassion um, that we've spoken about. So let's let's engage uh, this as our, our completion now at the end. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you all so very much. And I look forward to seeing you on the most auspicious day uh, next Tuesday. And we'll invite Kim, I think, who's supporting our efforts today. Thank you, Kim.
1: Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org slash contribute. Also, next, on the, that you'll find on the Appamata calendar is what we're calling after inquiry. And it's a chance to uh, actually leave the Zendo and walk out and talk together on the porch or in the study or wherever you are. So please join us, we do a combination of a group, large group discussion and breakout rooms. So see you there now, just go to the Appomatto calendar and you'll see a link on Tuesday for after inquiry. Thank you.